Warning, may contain profanity, illicit drugs, prison sentences, redemption, and, or nuts. I, am, Woodstock. Tony. Yes. 10 years sober. That's very exciting, man. Congratulations. Thank you, brother. I'm on top of the world today, bro. Like, it's hard to believe that it's been 10 years. If you knew me before, uh, a lot of dark days, dark roads, but man, I'm still kind of soaking it all in right now, man. Uh, this shirt says a lot. Obviously. This guy, if anyone not watching the video, he's got this badass shirt. It's got two thumbs pointing at him. It says this guy is 10 years sober. I'm a walking miracle, bro, to be honest with you. Um, my mom and dad bought me a nice dinner last night. A little takeout, Chinese takeout, but it was like, uh, son, we're very proud of you. Um, you've come a long way. The man you are today was, uh, or is, a thousand times better than the man you were when you were drinking. And I agree with that wholeheartedly, 100%, bro. That must feel pretty damn good to hear. Yeah, Definitely. That's um, let's start from the beginning, man. Because you uh, you're born and raised in Victoria. Yes, but you don't live in Victoria now. No, in San Antonio now. So, uh, what was it like growing up in Victoria? Because for those who don't know, it's right on Highway 59, and apparently that's a big you know drug corridor coming in from the south from Mexico, and so there was a lot of drug use in Victoria, from my understanding, as like growing up starting i don't know how old how old were you when you first had a sip of alcohol let's start there so um let me just start with traditional hispanic culture mexican families or my family in particular um when i was a kid full ice chests for juices and soda pops two or three more ice chests for loaded with different kinds of beers man so drinking was definitely part of the culture um when I was young, probably 10, 11, I remember my dad giving me a sip of beer, you know, a little here, take a sip thing. But I never, I didn't get drunk. My first uh, actual drink where I did get drunk was 12 years old, dude. Um, if you want, I can elaborate on that experience. Yeah, please do. So I uh, went with some family out West Texas, um, you know, still the family culture, drinking. Mm -hmm. uh, we were drinking Bud Light. And I had about seven Bud Lights deep. Seven uh, Buds as a 12-year-old? As a 12-year-old. Wow. I had some food earlier in the night, so um, maybe you could put two and two together after those seven. A lot of it came came out. Well, I was feeling good. I, I wasn't acting silly. Um, I think I was a really good drinker. Like, I mean, I drank like a fish, I like to say. But... Um, I knew that I was going to be a great drinker whenever, after I removed all that alcohol from my system and in that, you know, vomit way, um, I picked up another beer and I drank probably five more the rest of the night at 12 years old. Wow. Yeah. And so the next day, you know, I had that little hangover, the little, I mean, I didn't know what a fucking hangover was, um, but. Well, you know, I'm, I'm curious because as a 38 year old now, hangovers suck. How was it as a 12 year old? Um, a headache, a Just headache, a, slight a, headache. a little nauseous, okay. you know, um, but honestly, I, I was like, man, I got drunk last night. This is what, you know, my dad does, or this is what the uncles do, the family does. And I, I kind of get it, you know, I get what they're doing and that, you know, how the alcohol makes you feel. And I think you've used this term before, like a social lubricant, right? Yeah. Um, 
I'm kind of a social guy as it is already, you know, even at that young age. But I guess you're right, man. It did. It does open you up. I think the term was uh, back then was that liquid courage um, that, you know, it would promote. But anyhow, um, yeah, I had a minor hangover and, and uh, it wasn't nothing crucial. But I think that that was when my drinking drug career started at about 12 years old. Because I remember at 13, I think I had my first experience with um, marijuana you know with pot um you said 13 i believe i was 13 okay yeah so soon and, after and on and honestly i don't think that um there was a lot of drinking in between there i mean there was some not heavy not getting drunk um but i think that when the marijuana came into play um it didn't like make me more of a drunk does that make sense like yeah i, I, I w the drinking was still in me the drinking was the heavy problem you know um Marijuana wasn't, I don't think it caused me any issues as far as like missing school or like um, going to jail or driving inappropriately. But um, anyhow, I'm sorry, I, I digress. <laughs> and so at a very young age, at least for me, that's pretty damn young. Um, I, I think I was like 25 or something when I first had alcohol. Um, you started drinking, were your friends drinking too or was it just mostly family? Oh, no, it was friends, for sure. I mean, I'd go out and all the friends were drinking. It was kind of the thing in Victoria, man. There's nothing else to do, right? I mean, small town, let's get together and get tore up. What other kind of shit did uh, you get into over the years? Um, I guess the, I got into cocaine a bit. I, I did some ecstasy. Actually, the reason why I stopped drinking is because I got in trouble for the ecstasy thing. Um, I did... Um, Long story short, man, I, I don't want to dwell on this because I'm it's part of my story, but I'm not so proud of it, I guess, if you will. But um, I ended up catching some pretty serious charges and um, I did a little bit of jail time. Uh, and when I got out, I got released to probation, which was I was very fortunate because it could have been a lot longer of, uh, you know, prison sentence, a heavy jail sentence. And uh, that's no place for any human being, bro. And I definitely know it was no place for me, but um I guess. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, I, I talked to a guy in Portugal who he got caught in a very similar situation. Mm -hmm. You said you had uh, like ecstasy pills on yeah, you. Yeah. I think he had the exact same thing. And his experience was pretty eye opening because you've told me a little bit about your experience. And although you don't want to dwell on it, let me tell you his and maybe you can compare a little bit. Okay. Um, he was drinking. So he got pulled over at a, a stop and they noticed that. He had a little bit of you know alcohol in his breath, so they pulled him out. He had a little fanny pack around his chest, which apparently in Portugal is like just a "Hey, I'm a drug dealer" sign. And um, they had him go to court, and then it was done. Yeah, he never went to prison. He paid like a little fine, and every job that he applies for, he doesn't have to put that he's been arrested for it. It was as if it never happened because he didn't he didn't do anything wrong yeah it was illegal but he didn't have any like public intoxication he didn't mess around with anyone so they're like all right well looks like you're a pretty responsible drug user just stop dealing and they gave him like a i think the fine was ridiculous i have to go back and listen to the episode again to remember but it was something along the lines of like anyone could afford even if you're you know working a, a low paying job i want to say it was like 20 50 bucks something around there wow. and then he was done that was it so was that your experience? Not at all. Um, so let me go back a bit, if you don't mind. 
uh, that night when I did get caught with that ecstasy, I was drinking. Like I wasn't even doing ecstasy. I don't even think I was doing pot or any other drug. I was drunk. Um, let me just tell you the story of how I got caught. It's kind of interesting. It's, it is what it is. So I was drunk one night. That's how a lot of the negative stories start. And how old were you at this time? Man, I was 25, I believe. So a good uh, 15 years ago. I was 25, out drinking with some buddies. We were in um, a drop-top Sebring, like a convertible car of all cars. We left the function, and um, there was a fight that had broke out, and I was involved. I was drunk, dude. It was it was terrible. So we ended up leaving where the fight was at, and I guess someone called the cops. And so we were in a very obvious-looking car, and so they pulled up on us very quickly after we left that location. Me being drunk and sort of on this high of uh, adrenaline after fighting and just being in the mix, I, when they pulled us over, I just chunked out my ecstasy. <laughs> I had it in this little Altoid tin can. I used to call it my Xbox. Uh, <laughs> and um, I just kind of opened up that deal, threw it out the window. My dumbass was thinking that, you know, they weren't going to see it. Well, they saw it. Damn. And I stepped out immediately, again, out of my mind, drunk or whatever. And I do remember, but it, it's, I remember vaguely, but I remember vividly at the same time. Does that make sense? <laughs> Anyhow, um, so I'm getting out and I'm like, my mentality is to kind of kick these little pills away or oh, step no. on them. So you're like drawing attention to. <laughs> oh my God, dude. So they... I mean, the next thing I know, I'm getting slammed on the, you know, roof or the, yeah, the, not the roof, but the hood of my buddy Sebring. And, you know, they're jacking me around, dude, putting me in cuffs and what are you doing and blah, blah, blah. So at the end of the night, you know, I picked up two felonies in one night. It wasn't just a, a controlled substance. It was also a tampering with physical evidence. You oh, know? no. Yeah. So, you know, I get to the jailhouse and... Uh, some of the guards, you know, I had a history of being in there with the alcoholism. It had public intoxications, um, you know, other minor in possession of alcohol. I think I even got it one time and I had a few, you know, public intoxications. So there were signs, you know, of a problem with this alcohol thing. And I ignored them, dude. I'm like, hey, this is just what happens, right? Um, but a few of the guards, uh, you know, knew me inside the jailhouse. And they're like, oh, wow, Martinez, uh, two felonies one night, you know. Like, it's a huge deal, which it is. I mean, third, you heard the old three strikes and you're out with the yeah. felonies. I mean, I know people that have probably a dozen and they're still walking the streets. But anyhow. Um, and so at that point, man, uh, picking up those felonies and going to jail and doing a little bit of time uh, in that prison system, it, it was not a $50 experience. You know? Can you describe what it was like in prison? Sure. Um you're like an animal, man. Um, I left the, the Victoria County jail, um, chained, uh, by shackles, uh, around my wrists and around my ankles. And I was connected to two other, uh, offenders, if you will, that are going to the Texas department of corrections. Did you know what they were in for? Not a clue. Not yeah. something you really ask. <laughs> That's not really the lingo there inside. Um, so, yeah, uh, leaving there, heading on this bus, uh, the Bluebird bus that they call them, the prison guard in the front, 
with a shotgun, another one in the back with a shotgun, just like you see in the movies, you know. But the trip was, it's like I'm, I'm, I'm cuffed like, a, like an animal, you know, to multiple people that are other human beings just like me. And then you get there uh, to the actual freaking prison and, you know, they have you march out, strip butt naked. You walk in like, I mean, like a baby, dude, like it's a very humbling experience and it's also a very traumatic experience you know like no one deserves that dude like the texas prison system or i think all the prison systems or criminal justice systems needs to be addressed immediately but that's another we can go off on a tangent about that if you will and later on but um so I, i walk in and like they have to process us they throw us in um like showers basically to clean you up and throw these like dust or powders on you you give you this little strange looking bar of soap and make you shave all your hair off and check you for tattoos to see if you're connected with any prison gangs or any street gangs to kind of classify you and level you level you off to see where they're going to stick you within the prison system because there's layers you know it's population you have you know, segregation and different things of that nature. Just based on like, if you're a violent offender versus nonviolent or did they just throw everyone? It's, I mean, it depends. I mean, you're in there with some violent fools, you know, some, yeah, you you could be in there with some guys that you have no business being in there with, you know, and Mm -hmm. it's, it's no, no place to be, but so yeah, man, I was in there and, I was fortunate actually to spend just only like six months in there. And I say only because people do years, but that six months was no cakewalk, man. Um, But I was fortunate enough to have um, five days a week, Monday through Friday. I was going to school for like a computer maintenance type deal just to try to get my learn on. And there was AC in in those schools, Uh, in the dorm where I stayed with 56 other men, no AC. So where you slept, there was no air conditioning in Texas? Right. How did you survive like that? Were you there during the summer or did mm-hmm. you get lucky? No, I was there during the summer. Like I was like there March or February to about September. And um, fans. And you're just fans and sweat. huh? Terrible, dude. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, I got I got fortunate. I got lucky and caught a job in um, commissary, which was also in the air conditioning. So I'm working with food that you're, you have to come in there and buy. And every now and then the bosses would be like, hey, you want a soda? You want an ice cream? So, I mean, I, I did hard time, but it was kind of cush, if you will. Well, you weren't an asshole, so they hooked you up with some cush spots, right? There you go. And my job previously uh, was a dock worker, receiver. And when I talked to the warden when I was going in, they kind of put you in a similar job to what you did out in the free world. And so they're like, you can go work in the commissary. He said, don't fuck it up because that's a good job. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. So I did my little uh, time there, locked up, came out. And this was 2007. Um, yeah, 2007 is just when I came out. So I did like another five years of drugs and alcohol. Um and I struggled with the probation that I was on. So when you got out of prison, you continued to drink? I did. And I guess your parole officer, did they find out about that? Yeah. Yeah, because I, you know, pissed dirty, uh, drug uh, 
drug samples for the probation officer a few times, so I got violated. Probably just THC? Uh, yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I think uh, one time there towards the end, I don't know how they did this, but they tested, they said my piss was positive for alcohol, so I must have been drinking a lot. You must have been currently drunk when you <laughs> pissed in there. Goddamn, Tony, come on. <laughs> I, I, I don't think I was drunk. Isn't that the only way that a piss test shows up? I, I, I'll have to look up that. Yeah. I, I really don't know. But, yeah, so um, I don't think that my stint there in the jail was a rehabilitation for me or many other people for that matter. But I did learn that I don't want to go back there. But obviously the choices I made when I got out, it didn't reflect that, you know, like mm -hmm. I still wanted to drink. I still wanted to party and sex, drugs and rock and roll, you know, that, that type of shit. But. I mean, I was still aware. I mean, you know, I worked, you know, I supported, I try. I was there for my children uh, at the time. I had just had Avery, my youngest, who's now going to be 14 in August um, in 2008. So those, the birth of her, you know, and seeing um, I have a lot more responsibilities, it, it helped me slow down a bit, but I was still... You know, when I didn't have her all the time or on my weekends, I was ready to party, dude. I was still young. So I ended up violating my probation in 2011. And I did like another five months in jail. But uh, just jail, not. Well, it was actually uh, called uh, Intermediate Sanction Facility that was ran by the Texas prison system. So again, with the white jumpsuits, I got another offender card. So basically like a prison stint, but more of a, a smaller facility, not exactly a prison aimed at cognitive thinking and um, addiction. So okay. uh, when I went there uh, in 2011, it was a, like a 90 day program, but I think I was already locked up in the county for a month or two. So it ended up being like a five month thing that I was locked up again. And by this time I'm approaching a year, not uh, consecutive days, but yeah. a year of time that I'm like already missing from my kids and my family because of stupid choices I'm making, primarily in my opinion, because of my drinking, right? So when I got out of that program, it was helpful. I learned a lot. I tried to learn. And when I got out, I, I slowed down a little bit. And I don't even think I drank for like three weeks um, after I got out. But I was like, you know what? I've been doing good. I, I haven't drank for three weeks. My life is good. I'm happy. Let me have a beer, you know. So I drink. I started drinking a little bit again, and I, I would even drink. And something I didn't wasn't able to do before, uh, or not that I wasn't able to. I just didn't want to. I grabbed a beer or two after dinner or what have you after work, and I'd have a six pack in the refrigerator, and I'd leave them there. You know, I wouldn't go touch them before. There would be no more beer left in the refrigerator. Before if you got them, smoke them. Exactly. That's that's the vibe there. And so. Um, I think something else had happened after that, when I got back into the drinking again, late in 2011, there may have been, um, another like violation and I'm not sure what it was for. It was probably that alcohol, you know, uh, test that I peed, you know, and, and it came back with positive alcohol and they were going to send me back to prison or a rehab or another facility like this. I got lucky again. They ended up sending me to an, an inpatient rehab, but it wasn't ran by any prison system. It wasn't ran by the state of Texas. Um, it was a privately owned 12-step program. 
in 2012. So they let me out of jail and they sent me to that program, inpatient. It was out in um, Lamarck, Texas, which is over by Galveston, uh, Galveston, Houston area, whatever. And on my way, my parents drove me out there. On my way out there, I made the decision myself. I said, look here, talking to myself within myself, try this way of living, you know, try not to drink one day at a time or one day, two days, however long you last, just try it, you know, give it a chance. I've tried my ways of drinking and this lifestyle and look where it's got me. And here we are 10 years later, bro. I mean, one day at a time, I've made it a decade, bro. Um, I, I know I say this often to people, but if you knew me before, when I when I drank and you're looking at me now with the shirt on that says I have 10 years sober, you know, and I used to party and drug and all that. I've stayed away from all that for 10 years. You would say or they would say that they wouldn't believe it, dude. Like I'm a walking, talking miracle right now. It's it's insane. I'm sorry. I'm kind of got the chills right now dude, because I'm soaking it all in. It's a beautiful, it's a beautiful day. It's a beautiful thing. I'm happy to be alive, bro. And thanks for having me on this show, dude. Well, I love it, man. I fucking love it. Um, I've known you for probably about, I don't know, eight years, seven years, something around there. And um, over the years, we've been getting a little bit closer. You know how guys are. It's at first, you don't even talk to the guy. You're like, hey, our wives know each other. What What's up? But after these years, man, um, we've had some great conversations. And I have no doubt that you're, you know, one of, one of the top notch guys in the world. And the fact that you had that past that you've shared a little bit with me, man, I, the growth I've seen in the short time I've known you is a, uh, is badass. Um, I want to, I want to make sure people know that, you know, there, there are options in life, man. You just have to put your head down and, and do it. And I want to know how you how you actually pulled it off like did so did you like immediately go into like an aa program or did you just do it cold turkey by yourself yeah so it was an aa program a 12-step program um mainly focused on alcohol there was a you know there's an na also which is narcotics anonymous so it's very similar but, but you didn't have any issues with using like different illicit drugs or anything like that or was it just alcohol or did you feel a pull for other substances as well um the way my perspective is alcohol was what led to the other things, you know, like I wouldn't just go buy some cocaine because I wanted cocaine because uh, like right away I, I would get drunk and then, you know, Hey, let's get some, you know? Yeah. Um, so alcohol led to most of those illicit things in my opinion, for sure. Um, but yeah, no, I, I was a 12 step program. I, I like dove into it. Like I, my mind was clear. Uh, I wasn't, doing anything i was sober so i but you chose I it wasn't choose. saying no. hey you're gonna go do this it's tony told tony yes. hey let's do this do you remember your first time visiting visiting like the first meeting you went to so i i danced and tripped around and stumbled into many aa meetings before that um may 22nd of 2012 because i was on probation you know before that they sent me to those AA meetings. I had to get my card signed, you know, forced, forced. Yeah. Right. And so, dude, I'd go in those meetings with a cup of alcohol, bro, like vodka. So you couldn't smell it. And oh, back, in, back in those <laughs> days, you could still smoke in the AA meetings and whatnot. And okay. so 
I'm like sitting in there listening to these people. I'm like, these guys are fucked up. Meanwhile, I'm drinking. <laughs> <laughs> dude, y'all got some fucked up stories, dude. Um, so, yeah, I had been to these meetings. I knew what it was like. Hello, my name is Tony. You know, all that, the whole nine. Um, but I never took it seriously. I, 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 I didn't give it a chance. You know, I saw that it helped people. I saw people with 10, 20, 25, you know, bunch of years of sobriety. And it looked good on them, like, and especially hearing their past and what they've come from, man, that's a freaking, that's badass, you know, that you used to be on Skid Row, you know, you used to be in the bottom of the barrel and, and just dark, dark depths of whatever, you know, some negative shit. And you've come out into the light and like, you've reached your, maybe not your highest potential, but you've got, you've, you've dipped into this other place that you'd never thought existed dude and now it's like heavy right but again i heard all those stories and i still didn't make the decision to quit myself it wasn't until i said okay i guess that was my rock bottom that's like the term they like to use that was my rock bottom was when when i finally said okay that's enough you know i'm i'm gonna try not to drink and so yeah but the 12-step program did help dude i mean um there's the Again, the 12 steps. So each one of those steps, is I, I can't remember them specifically, but they do list things that you're supposed to do, daily meditation, um, steps that lead you to a better life of sobriety, right? I probably still practice those steps, not even knowing it on a daily basis. Um, but after the first uh, two or three years of heavy meetings, I'm talking like the first 45 days, was a meeting every day, multiple meetings every day, because I was in the inpatient, you know, I was there, um, living there, which again, they, we got our own, we have to wear our own clothes. You didn't have to wear, you know, walk in the line, handcuffs or whatever. And they fed us. Oh, they treated you like an actual human. They Crazy how us, that works. Ain't it though? And you know, we, they fed us really good and maybe that's why it helped, you know, for me, you know, that it's not going to work for everyone. It's just specifically for me, but I think there was a lot of other successful, um, people who got sober out of that, um, out of that program or that, that facility there, excuse me. So I did my 30 days or 45 days there came out still on probation for like, that was 2012. So I had like another five years left. I would go to meetings probably three times a week. Um, I actually held meetings before I was the speaker and, you know, I mean, so you're oh. really involved. I wouldn't say really involved, but way more involved than some and way more involved than I had ever been. Um, and I kind of liked it, you know, talking in front of people, sharing a story, sharing my story, um, talking about ways that are techniques that I used to help me uh, stop drinking or stop drugging or doing other activities to because um, drinking, it's like, what do they say? Romancing the drug or romancing the stone, you know, or I never heard it, that. It, it's not a. So if you, it's not just I'm gonna go to the bar and have a drink, you know, it's like, or it's not like you just sit there and drink. You you go to the bar, you go to the store, you know, it's a whole thing. You pour it in your cup, or you you put it in like okay, yeah, that type yeah. deal. So it's not just you're drinking. So you have to find an activity to take place for that whole vibe that you're into. So, so what were like the major changes you made? Because I imagine. You're not hanging around with the same folks. You're not doing the same things, as you mentioned. What were like the biggest things that you had to change in your life before you were really down that path towards sobriety? I think you, you hit it 
on the head with the first uh, comment you said was the people I hung around with, man, the, the streets, uh, the so-called friends that really weren't there anymore whenever I got sober. I think even some people that did care about me that used to party with me purposely um, distanced themselves from me because they knew that I was trying to better myself. And mm -hmm. they, they've seen, you know, my dark days. Um, so, yeah, the people I got away from. And then I found other activities, man. I've always been sort of very sp a spiritual person. You know, I went to church when I was younger, raised Catholic, uh, kind of got out of the Catholic church a bit. Um, <clears throat> but I still believe in some of its... Uh, some of the Catholic beliefs or um, my faith has always been very strong. So I think that's that helped me a lot get through um, through some of the hard days, you know, in the beginning. Uh, also making meetings, uh, going fishing. I love fishing, dude. That helped a lot. Uh, I would we'd go exercise, go to the gym. I mean, just anything, dude, like family, of course. You know, I, I was, I'm, I've always been big on family. We try to do things with the kids and um, – yeah. Did it, I, I imagine it was very difficult at first. Was there a point that it started getting easier? Yes. Well, yes and no. I mean, I, I think it's easy today, but I mean, there are days when it's not, you know, you think about well, what's going to hurt, you know, what's one drink going to hurt. Um, but I don't like, I don't like saying it does get easier because for some people it doesn't, you know, and for me, I guess it just, it was my time, you know, to quit. I think timing's huge these days. Um, I think that I had enough to drink in those, like, 16 years of partying. And I, I say this a lot too, dude, like, probably three lifetimes. I, I mean, I drink a lot of fucking alcohol, bro. Like, just to give you an example, man. Victoria, Texas, you know, party or you don't do nothing because there's nothing else to do. But I'd wake up in the, you know, after a long night of partying in a, a county over at some random house. And I'm like, where the fuck am I? Don't even remember getting there. Uh, not at all. I don't. And then I'd wake up. No one might. Maybe someone's around. Maybe someone's not. You know, somebody laid a guy laid over there on the couch, passed out too. And maybe somebody just barely waking up. And all I do is go look for the next uh, liquor cabinet and I find some old hot vodka and just start drinking, dude, right when I wake up. Because like, you know you're going to feel like shit if you don't. Correct. So, you know, doing stuff like that, man, I don't miss it, bro, at all. Like, I don't miss the hangover. I don't miss, you know, I got a little money in my pocket now, dude, you know. I fucking wasted a lot of fucking money at the bars. I mean, pointless. I'm killing my liver. No, alcohol is awful, man. <laughs> it literally kills like every cell in your body. The fact that that's the legal drug of choice in the world is just beyond me. I guess we just we used to have commercials with doctors smoking cigarettes too. So I guess humans aren't really haven't really quite figured this thing out yet. But we're close. We're getting we're getting closer. You at sure. Least. Yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be an optimist here. I'm trying to be an optimist. Well, okay, so there's a lot of questions I have. Go for it. Um, I. Every time that I talk about drug and alcohol use on this show, like I've, people have said that I'm very pro-drug. And I, I guess in a way I am because I, I come from a place of zero drugs, right? And so in a place of zero drugs to any drugs at all, then yeah, technically I'm pro-drugs. But it's always surrounding 
doing it in a safe manner, knowing that every person reacts differently to different substances, that there's some people that they should never touch a single substance. The warning on my show is, you know, and or nuts. It used to be and or peanuts, but the little robot voice sounded like penis. penis. I, I switched it up. <laughs> um, I don't know. Maybe I'll switch back to penis. But no, and I think like in your example, um, an example of other people have had alcohol, something that they they just cannot touch because of whether it's a genetic marker or the, the social side around it, or maybe they've just actually drank so much in their life that they're truly physically addicted. Um, but I always, when I have the conversations on the show that tend to be more pro-drug, I try to always at the end have a you know responsibility side of it. Like, hey, how do we help the younger generations navigate all of these substances, use them for their benefits or stay away from the ones that are going to fuck them up. Um, in your case, sobriety is the answer. You, you're happy now with it. Um, and well, you're not hundred percent sober, right? There's certain substances that you use caffeine. Uh, do you smoke uh, cigarettes, nicotine or anything no, like that? I ha- I'll have a cigar every now and then, you know, um, but um, yeah, that's about it, man. You know, I don't really like taking Benadryls, but I will because my allergies are bad. You could, <laughs> you could probably tell now. A uh, buddy of mine, we call them pink bennies. You know, did you take your pink benny last night? But uh, yeah, no, I, I had an implant done a few years back. Uh, they drilled into my jawbone, right? And they gave me like some hydrocodones or some Tylenol 3s. And like, it, it was a bit like, not, I wouldn't say shocking or like, oh my God, you know, I'm going to have. I've been, I've been sober, you know, I, I don't need drugs, right? Get those away from me. But I was like, oh, you know what? I'll take them if I need them. I didn't need them. I took ibuprofen, you know, I gave those whatever. They got rid of them. But, uh, I mean, if, in my opinion, bro, um, I don't think that pot is bad. You know, I think that CBD, I've had some CBD uh, gummies. They put me to sleep. Um, my grandma was showing me that she took some cannabis oil. Um, I don't know, I guess it's like a tincture or I'm not sure exactly what you call it, but she was rubbing it on her, her knuckles and hands for arthritis, helped her out. I had another friend of mine show me some, um, some, also some oil she gave to her autistic son. It helps him a lot. So I'm pro pot, I guess, if you will. But, uh, my current job, uh, I'm a CDL truck driver. It's kind of frowned upon to have, you know, that type of action going on but um yeah i've actually talked to a few people that went through um well the the 12-step program they've been sober for years but they smoke pot all the time and they're like yeah it's just it's just different like it doesn't drive me towards doing the things that i used to do that were destructive in my life in fact it helps me focus on the shit that's important in life and it keeps, keeps me from drinking which uh now that i'm very familiar with thc and have used it quite a bit recently um just because i have been my own boss and been able to and um i can see that now you know like i've I've said multiple times on the show that it's it's an empathy booster you know (laughs) it's almost the opposite of alcohol where alcohol steals happiness from tomorrow with weed especially if you overdo it and you get that kind of the paranoia you know it's it's almost the opposite it's your your stealing happiness from today for tomorrow and tomorrow you're going to feel better because you're like oh boy i was way too high last night (laughs) (laughs) and but but it helps at least me and i know again every single person reacts differently with every substance whether it's alcohol caffeine whatever but me specifically when i smoke and smoke a lot 
I do get that paranoia, that anxiety, but I've realized, recognized now it's because it makes me think about the things that I've not been doing that I should. Mm. I'm like, I should, instead of being out here playing video games, smoking pot, be in reading like books to my kids and help them fall asleep. And so I'll stop and I'll go in and I'll read them a book or spend more time with them or I'll sit there and have a conversation with them where to totally sober, I don't care about my little pony, but had I just take a little puff of that, you know, joint, I go in there and my little pony's my favorite thing now. And so me and Ever will just like have this like really in-depth conversation. I'm like, yeah, I get it. And uh but that's my experience. Yeah. Not everyone has that experience. And then I ha I also have met people who are sober and they won't touch weed because anything they're i guess they're worried that it's gonna you know trigger something, click something. Yeah. exactly so at, at the end of the day we just need to educate ourselves about what we're putting in our body and know how it reacts to us learn in a very controlled setting what it is but i that is interesting to hear that you have the same experience as other people who are sober that weed is kind of the exception yeah so if you weren't driving cdl would you smoke weed i all believe the day? i would um yeah um makes me a creative person at times i guess uh i guess it would just depend man i mean where i'm at in life and but i agree with you i'm inclined to agree with you as far as the um the whole my little pony story <laughs> it, it, i could see how it would make something very interesting and then like you said you, what am i doing out here i should be over there it does make you think a bit more and put things into perspective. What about like psychedelics? Have you ever fucked around with that? I, I think I had an experience when I was 16 with some mushrooms that somebody made some tea and I drank it. I drank the tea, Jace. Do not drink the tea. No, drink the tea. <laughs> know what you're doing before you drink the tea. Yeah, but. they didn't know. I don't remember a trip or anything like that. I mean. It didn't really hit you? Nah, I can't say that any psychedelics that I took purposely. I know that, you know, with the ecstasy, I think someone said uh, they put a dab of um, LSD on one that I took. And I think I saw like a 10 foot man standing on the wall, like a shadow <laughs> and shit. And, you know, every now and then you see something trippy, but I don't think it was along the lines of like a psilocybin trip or, you know, a mushroom type deal, but I still hallucinated. So that was pretty cool. But that was, you know, back then. And, and since, you know, these 10 years were you like a teenager still at that time nah, man i was you were full of i was you know 21 22 okay. ish yeah, those were the heydays yeah i bring up psychedelics because anytime i talk about addiction my mind goes to her name's casey mitchell she lives up in uh in oregon in portland she's one of the uh she used to be the president I, i'm not sure what her position right now is but of the portland psychedelic society and her purpose specifically is to integrate people into using psychedelics to better them and specifically coming from in her life uh, from addiction and using the 12 step program. Um, she informed me when we were talking that the original guy that came up with the 12 step program actually used psychedelics in his journey, but he chose actively to leave it out of the program because he knew it would be shut down by any, he wouldn't have gotten any help from government or most people who are, pushing for sobriety are very religious and they wouldn't be cool with using drugs to get rid of other drugs. Right. It's kind of a hard conversation to have. Yeah. And that surprised me. It surprised me that someone like, like you feel that if it wasn't for your job, you'd probably still smoke marijuana and that would actually help you using different, as I thought were super hard drugs like acid. Um, 
I was shocked to find out that that was part of the original program. In fact, she told a crazy story that you'll have to listen to her say it. Like, you can go back to the episode. She she gave a great description of what DMT feels like and psilocybin. I think I did hear that episode. Oh, did you hear that one? So. Man, she was so cool. But the, the part about the Ibogaine mixed with the DMT was something that really interested me. Uh, apparently, heroin, obviously, we've all heard about the opioid crisis and... A mixture of ibogaine experiences, and I say experiences, not just using it, because I, I think it's the experience that heals, along with DMT experience. In her opinion, is is it's magic. She saw people who were beyond help, and then just a few days later, after those experiences, she would see them again, and they would be a completely different person. All of the draw for the addiction for the actual substance was gone, and they were so far down their journey of recovery in just a few days that it took her without those substances using the 12 step program months, if not years to get to that point of, I don't know what to call it insight or um, I guess emotional security or self-actualization. I don't know the right term for it, but it, it really, really surprised me. And so I started to look more into it and I, there's a bunch of different other things, like mostly in the psychedelic range, but like dissociatives. Ketamine's another one that comes up a lot. I have a good buddy that um, deals with super heavy depression and nothing would help until he tried ketamine. And he'll do it like once every few months. What is ketamine exactly again? I mean, we know it. Uh, most people know it as a horse tranquilizer. Okay, I thought that's Right? Okay. So kind of like how ivermectin is a horse paste. Um <laughs> It's a dissociative which makes you kind of separate from reality. You've heard of the term ego death. I guess it's a, we all have a sense that we are ourselves, our individual. I am Jace and everything I've experienced up to this point is me. And when you have a dissociative, it kind of separates your consciousness from you, which can be terrifying the first time it happens. But what that allows you to do is kind of see your life from a different angle, different perspective and say, oh, why am I dwelling on XYZ? Why am I allowing this trauma to control my life? Why am I yada, 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 yada? And I, I personally have not tried ketamine, it's something that's on the list, um, been offered a few times, but I definitely was not in the right set or setting <laughs> and I did not know the dosage. So um, anytime that you're gonna do any substance, whether it's psychedelic and up or down or yada, yada, make sure you know that what the hell you're doing or else we, you can get in a situation where that substance is definitely going to control you. Would you agree that though, um, like say people take the ketamine to, like you say, disassociate from the ego? Is that what you said? I think, yeah. yeah. Uh, so would you agree that you can do that without the ketamine? Like, I believe so. You yeah. can kind of open yourself up spiritually or mentally or however you want to do it. You know, there's other routes to achieve that. Yeah, and we talked about that. I'm not sure when it was, but you brought it up as one of the 12 steps is meditation mm -hmm. or mindfulness training, whatever we want to call it. But some people have made the, um, I guess, comparison to a, a monk up in the mountains sitting there meditating for 30 years and then one guy doing a DMT trip and they arrived at the same place. No one way. took 30 years, one took 15 minutes. But I don't know. I have no way to verify yeah. that. I mean, I... I think that all of us have a very, I mean, we're all unique. We all have different experiences, but at the same time, 
we all are raised in a specific reality. However, we were raised, the people, next, our next door neighbor, they had a very similar upbringing, but still different because their family dynamic. And that's ingrained into who we are. And, you know, I, I can think that I have a unique upbringing because I was raised Mormon, but it's the exact same as some Chinese guy that was raised whatever he was. And eventually you're going to have to face the music of your reality is not the reality everyone else has their own experience and yeah there's probably some objective underlying truth but if you think that you figured it out boy buddy i got you i i don't don't think you do i don't think anyone has on the face of the planet um i think guys like jesus and confucius and you know muhammad and all them they've had experiences where they've seen or maybe felt or experienced something more and that's created a you know a, a jump a leap forward in humanity but i think you know we'd be wrong to believe that you know just because they're telling us things through words that we can understand it we have to go through those experiences ourselves to truly understand you know what what this life is and even then we're not going to figure out what this life is. Uh, hopefully science will catch up soon. We got quantum computers coming. Maybe uh, maybe that'll give us a little insight into what the hell's going on here. Would you say that happiness is very important? I think it's the, the key. And love. Yeah, there's a Mormon saying that uh, God is that men might be and men are that they might have joy. Wait, one more time. God is so that men might be. Like men exist. I, I don't really know what it means, but... God is that men might be, and men are that they might have joy. Joy. And I always translated that into, I mean, the purpose of life is for us to find joy. Yeah. And it's finding that formula in our lives, the actions that we take, the algorithm, if you will, of finding how we can have prolonged, sustainable joy, not for ourselves only, but getting to the point where we can uplift ourselves we can uplift those around us and if we get real good we can uplift the world you know you asked me earlier if things get easier or if it's gotten easier over time think after thinking about that a little bit more i'm gonna i'm gonna say no they don't they don't get easier (laughs) um but i find and i'm still learning man like i love to learn you know about life you know educate myself not so much through books because uh you know I don't read that much books anymore, but um, I, I listen to the elders. You know, I listen to, I love sitting down and talking to an older person. Dude, they got so much life experience and their perspective is, I mean, they're not trying to impress me, dude. You know, like they're being themselves and they're telling me what they went through and what they experienced. Now I'm learning that our experiences, um, like if we go through something traumatic or, you know, it was a hell of a day because X, Y, Z, and you just think, fuck, you know, this. I'm ready to go in this day and go if whoever drinks or smoke pot or whatever you do, you want to end it in the day, get over this bad day and then just go deal with it in that way. But it's not about what we go through. Right. It's about how you handle the shit that you go through. Right. And that's what I tell myself on a daily basis. It's like, look, this might piss you off. You know, you're mad at work because so and so didn't do their job or whatever it may be that's bothering you. It's not that thing. You know, it's not that action. It's. It's about how you internalize it, how you handle it and deal with it and just move on, you know, because it's just that moment in time, you know, and after that moment, it's the past. And so why dwell on the past, bro? Live in the moment and live for the future, you know, 
simple and plain. Try to figure out what actions cause what consequences and live your life accordingly. Like I could do this, but I, I've learned through past experience that if I do this, then XYZ is going to happen and XYZ sucks. Mm -hmm. So I'm just not going to do this. And being able to have that self-control is such a strong skill that, you know, if, if, if we could alter the education system and only focus on being able to have self-control and all, what's the, the stoicism, being able to not have outward uh, things affect your emotions. Someone can come and spit something at you and you have the ability, the choice in your mind at that moment to react in any way you want versus just the knee-jerk reaction. Right. The knee-jerk, whether it be fear or anger or you know fight or flight, you being able to have control over what you're going to respond. Man, that that is something in my life has completely changed who I am. I was the kid that I, I was a fucking fireball of like anger. Like I had a very short fuse and it was a huge bomb when it went off as a kid. Like I would chase my older brother with fucking knife. You're psycho, Jason. I was. I was. <laughs> and it was only through a long, long trail of A, recognizing that I don't know everything, you know. But also, B, as my wife likes to point out, I always go A and then never say B. Um, but B. <laughs> I was going to be like A and then two, two. and then Z. <laughs> I'm not very good at my job. You're great, but, dude. I love it. Awesome. But no, I, I think um, being able to recognize you know, your weaknesses, being able to understand that you are weak. But you're, at the same time, you're also fucking strong. We can do anything we want. We're, we're literal gods in this world, you know? Like, And I say that in a very literal but also respectful sense. I think people, you know, to say that there is one God, yeah, sure. We, we are all striving to be just like we all deep inside know there is a way that we can act that it's going to help not only us but those around us. I mean, that's God. It's, it's us striving. It's striving and it's sacrifice, knowing that tomorrow's going to be better because of the sacrifice we did today. And fuck, that's hard to remember, though, because when, you know, that alarm goes off and you're like, oh, I know what I should be doing right now. And then you don't do it. And then you get depressed because you didn't do it. And then it's the snowball of like, well, mm. I didn't do that. So I'm a failure. So might as well fail at this, too. And the, the mental fortitude of being able to stop that process and be like, Nope, fuck it. Just going to get up and deal with this few seconds of pain. And then I'm going to feel really good the rest of the day because I'm actually doing what I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And as you put it, no, it doesn't get easier. It gets harder every freaking day because they're piling on more responsibilities right and left. As a, as a father, uh, we both know that. Um, as a father of daughters. Daughters. Oh, we both are just full of estrogen in our oh. homes, aren't we? God bless you, brother. Has that helped you be a little bit more, uh, I guess, empathetic, being able to see the other side of things? <laughs> um, God bless me with uh, two beautiful daughters and two beautiful stepdaughters, which, you know, I love them just like they're my own. But um, I said that the good Lord had a good sense of humor with me because when I was younger, I was, you know, not so great to some women in a sense, if you will. Um, but I was catting around and, you know, chasing tail, you know, the typical life of sex, drugs, rock and roll thing. But um, 
yeah, he gave me girls and uh, I'm paying for some of those things now. <laughs> and I don't think that uh, I, I still have a little bit of debt in that category. So I'm, st- I'm going to be paying it off for a little bit still. But it, it does give you that perspective, though. Look, you know, you've got girls, you know, you treated some girls how some asshole might treat your daughter. And it's painful, you know, I mean, but I believe whether or not I did that or didn't, that someone still might come around and treat my kid with disrespect or in a, in a bad way. So, yeah, I believe in karma. But. I mean, I've done a lot of good, also done a lot of bad. I've heard that you have to do a little bad to do a little good. Maybe. I I mean, what's bad, what's good, right? (laughs) I've changed my perspective a few times, so I'm not the one to ask. (laughs) But but you did say uh, something about, you know, controlling your, your mind, thoughts, and your process. Like if the terms that I've used before was like play the tape all the way through before you take that drink, before you um, eat that high cholesterol food before you drink that um, caffeine, smoke that cigarette, whatever the vice may be, you know, play it all the way through. What's going to happen if I take that first drink? Well, then I'm going to drink 10 more. Then I'm going to be out all night. Then I might not go to work the next day. I might go to jail because I drove intoxicated. You know, once I play that tape all the way through, then it comes back to, no, I'm not going to make the decision. I'm not going to take that drink, whatever it may be. That's helped me, man, tremendously, like, thinking about my actions or thinking because I'm very impulsive, dude. I've always been very impulsive. I think I've made bad decisions without any mind or mood altering substances. So when you added, when you would add the alcohol into the mix or whatever, the drugs, which like I said, mainly the alcohol started the shit, um, the decision-making just became 10 times worse. And so I'm proud to say, dude, that since I stopped drinking 10 years, like I have not gone back inside a jail or a prison or, you know, missed any time away from my kids for, you know, consecutive days or weeks at a time or months for that matter. And if I did miss time away from it was because of work, you know, doing something productive or positive to put a roof over their head, you know, to feed them, you know, clothe them and things like that. So it's, it says something about what I did at that time, 10 years ago. Um, Now looking at it, it, it was the best, probably one of the best, decisions i made in my life bro i'm fucking stoked that i'm very honored that you wanted to be here on your anniversary man that's that's a big deal to me i appreciate that no thank you dude i mean i've been wanting to tell my story for a while and i feel like if it helps one person then it's all worth it um i feel like i was a bit nervous or i'm still a little bit nervous to talk on mic about it because it's not easy to open up about yourself um even to just if one-on-one, like if it was just me and you sitting here, it's not easy to tell you or another human being that the things that you've been through, but it's humbling, man. And it makes you, um, or it makes me feel like maybe it'll give someone else the courage to open up, you know, or, or take that step to better their, their life. And maybe, maybe there's a problem that they, they got going on and this will teach them a step or a way to, that hey, it's possible. You know, this guy was a fucking druggie and alcoholic and in and out of jail and making bad choices, running with the wrong crowds. Um, I made a decision overnight to change his ways. And here we are 10 years later, man. It's fucking beautiful, bro. There's another Mormon thing. Um, or maybe this is New Testament. I'm not sure. There's a, there's a saying, though, that if you save one soul, it erases a mountain of sins. Mm. And... So like you just said, man, if this touches one person, this helps one person, then 
you know, you said you've done all these bad things in your past. You believe in karma. Well, I, I truly believe that when you make that turn and you start going down, down that path that really fulfills who you are, uh, karma is a funny thing because although it may seem like there's a mountain that we're dealing with in our past, I don't think karma gives as much uh, care for that. I, I think karma gives a little bit more about what we're moving towards. And once we get that that ball rolling, it's 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 a beautiful thing. It's amazing. I agree. I've talked about um, all the addiction and the jail and the trouble that I got into. I'd like to kind of touch on what's been positive since I've been sober, if you don't mind, if you have time. Let's do it. Let's take a quick break first, though. Sure. I'm going to check the temp, and I'm going to grab me a drink. 2012, got sober, um, and then I just started seeing blessings, bro, and promises come to fruition. Like 2013, I got my commercial driver's license with a hazardous materials endorsement. I started working um, as a fuel man at a plant at uh, Alcoa for a few years, about four years from 2013 to, or three or three and a half years or so to 2016 man i thought i was going to be out there the rest of my life they were treating me well excuse me um i had a really cush job man fuel man just responsible for filling up all the equipment on the plant really easy dude you did some fuel related stuff yeah um if it wasn't for me quitting drinking dude i don't i don't think i would have ever got a commercial driver's license i wouldn't have got a nice job like this i was able to support my family spending a lot of time um, I worked a lot, but I also made the time that I wasn't at work count with the family. And so raising kids, I mean, it provided a better living for them and me. Um, and then, I don't know, I'm sorry, I just blanked out for a second there, bro, sorry. Um, I don't know, man, just a bunch of good stuff has happened since I, I stopped drinking. I, I I feel like I've become more of a spiritual person, you know, and... Um, I, I've gotten luckier. I feel I've, I even won like ten grand a few years back. Oh yeah, you told me about that. That's insane, man. It was just from the radio. It was a radio contest, dude. Um, I called in, had to be ex, you know, eighth caller or whatever, and I got entered into a drawing to win ten grand. And I just happened to show up at that place. So there was like three hundred other people that got chose, you know, and they were ex number caller and they had to go to the event and put their name in a drawing you know sign in this and that blah 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 long story short they drew my name bro out of like 300 and some people and i couldn't believe it man it was like wow so that helped you know money's not everything but it makes some things better oh yeah definitely helps with the helps with the monkey mind helps you not always worry so you could actually focus on the next step yeah and so like i said i worked out there um to about 2016 um, because they curtailed operations there at the plant. So they, this plant been open since the 50s and they basically just shut it down. I think it's all but a skeleton crew working out there now. So, you know, they had to lay everybody off and I was like, dang, you know, that really sucks. But I didn't let it destroy me. You know, I didn't let it take me down. I said, you know what, let me go to San Antonio. I got options over there. I started working, doing like Uber and car service. I started a car business. I drove some pretty um, famous people around, you know, I don't want to name drop or anything, you know. Uh, uh, I remember those times you uh, you seemed really fucking happy when you were driving a lot. In fact, I have since thought like, I really enjoy driving. Maybe I should just drive around, do it on the side. 
I'll have to pick your brain one of these times about it. Yeah, well, I mean, I've been in a transportation-related field for over 10 years. Like, even before I um, got sober and got my commercial driver's license, I did, like, some driving, like, rent a car Avis or, like, small trucks that I can deliver things with without a CDO. Or I would drive, like, my uncle's trucks and we'd do gutter, uh, gutter jobs and have a 40-foot trailer on there or whatever. So I had a lot of experience driving um, prior to that. So... When I, whenever they cut, uh, they shut the jobs down, I started the San Antonio gig, driving people around. That didn't work out as much as I would have wanted it to full time. So I looked for going back to work for the man again. I got this really cush job, this nice company I'm working for now. And I think I got that job in 2018 and I'm still there. They're treating me great. Um, I, of course, I'm using my CDO again for the company, driving and delivering. Sometimes, like, we have the uh, refrigerant that we deal with for, like, air conditioning units. And so it's plus, man, and and it's all – I think it all stems back to me getting, uh, getting sober, dude, and just changing my life around, and all this good stuff started happening. So one thing I, I want to kind of go over, the comparison I did with my Portuguese buddy and you and the – you guys were pretty much in this exact same situation doing the exact same thing and the outcomes were drastically different one thing that always comes up is once you have that felon on your record you have to like every every job i've ever applied for asks you are you a felon have you been arrested yada 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 um and this maybe can segue back into prison reform and general just justice reform um has it has it had a negative effect on you trying to find a job um it's tough it makes it tough man but it can be done so i did say i got my commercial driver's license um it wasn't easy i had to take extra steps because i'm a felon um I had what to, were those just specifically sure. for the cdl yes okay. uh, uh, well cdl i think it was more specifically for the hazmat because okay. with the hazmat you have to do like the homeland security background check and things of that nature yeah and so my background came up as a red flag so they needed documentation stating that i completed my um you know the criminal stuff uh, if i was on parole or probation i needed a certificate stating that i was done with that um i needed a letter of recommendation from like three friends or family members, a uh, letter of recommendation from um, the courts, you know, a bunch of things that I had to go and do. Um, and then I had to write a letter uh, to them myself stating why I thought, you know, or my story or what happened and what the outcome was and where I am now. And so that was just a year into my sobriety. And, and after explaining all those things, it took me probably four months to get all that back into where I can say, okay, Congratulations, sir. You have a commercial driver's license that has hazardous materials endorsement. So, yeah, it can be tough for felons to uh, find work or good work for that matter. After. Just a quick comparison because I got my hazmat, same thing. I pretty much got mine immediately. So, just a what months worth of work, potentially thousands upon thousands of dollars that you're missing out on because of that, right? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, but, and again, uh, I mean, I, I think that it's still possible though. I just want to say that it, it's tough, you know, for a felon to do it, but you can still do it, man. I mean, you have to be, you have to have that ambition and that drive to go and, you know, I'm going to try, 
because I mean, what's the worst they can say is no, right? But just then you get back up and try again, try something else or a different job. But fortunately for me, man, I've I've been able to find good jobs, and so. So on the reform side, do you think the steps, the extra steps you had to do for the hazmat is how it should be? Do you think that although there's, you know, nonviolent felons, if you have a felony, should you have to go through all that? Would you want, you know, other people to go through it? Um, I think it may be necessary, man, because... <clears throat> Sorry, those frappuccinos got a lot of milk in them. They make you go honk. And I also have to address, if anyone was watching the video, I hope you can't see all these little gnats flying around. They just showed up. I have to address them. They really bug me. I sprayed so much, yet they're still, they're like. The gnats bug you? Yeah. They're, <laughs> but dad jokes here. <laughs> so you, you think uh, there is a sense of that that is necessary. It Like, although it sucked for you, it was still possible, but you felt like they're, it was justified yeah uh, i think we need to do background checks on non-felons as well because uh, people are fucking crazy bro i mean people are weird uh, that's the term i hear a lot from meeting new people or co-workers or people i go deliver to it's like yeah people are so fucking weird or that guy's weird we're all fucking weird <laughs> i mean just let's just put that all out there right fucking now everyone's yeah. weird everyone's got their own way or their own little way of handling things or operations or you know but I mean, just sit down and talk to somebody and get to know them. I mean, like, find out for yourself. Don't judge them based on their being weird. If I can tell you a quick story real quick. My aunt um, that lives in San Antonio, she has this friend that she's had for like 30 years. It's this guy. He uh, he dyes his hair blue, purple sometimes, you know. I guess that's a thing to do these days. Um, but he also has a, like an old Oldsmobile sedan, maybe like a 2002 model. For, uh, and he drives around. You know, he's a kind of a loner guy, but he has a mannequin in the back seat of his car. So that's okay. his passenger, you know, and uh, his uh, he calls her Stella. That's her name, Stella. Imagine that. Anyhow, uh, now that Stella has, uh, you know, we're going through a pandemic, uh, Stella's wearing a mask. Naturally. Uh, and of course. I mean, why wouldn't she? She's responsible. <laughs> And um, she has weird hair. It's like a like one of those mannequins you see in a Halloween store that looks kind of spooky. Yeah. And I swear he was visiting my aunts one day, and I just so happened to be outside, and Stella just kind of turned her head real slow <laughs> and looked at me. <laughs> no. But I may I may have I may have been not not had enough sleep that night or something. But anyhow, let me get back to this guy. You know, um, he's kind of you know got a weird. You know, people say he's weird. I mean. There's nothing weird about having a mannequin in the back of your seat with a mask on. Would you judge him based on that? <laughs> Hell yeah, I would. I thought I'd like to get to know him, though. That's okay, funny. Okay, well, check it out. I started to get to know him. You know, I started talking to him, and he told me this brief story about how his coworkers, you know, didn't really talk to him. They distanced themselves from him. Mm -hmm. But one of his guys was kind of close to him, so it was kind of a friend. And so the guy who drives around with uh, – mannequin in his backseat asked the you know his coworker, hey you know do people what do people say about me you know do people talk about me and, and this coworker says yeah uh, of course they talk about you <laughs> <laughs> the guy goes well what do they say he's like well, that guy's weird he dyes his hair blue and he's he drives around with that mannequin it's spooky you know he's just so weird and the guy goes oh, okay he's like well you know what i don't want nobody to talk to me i don't want to be bothered this is why i dye my hair blue and this is why i drive around with the mannequin because look it works they're not talking to me 
Oh, wow. Right? So, and then he says, well, oh, his coworker tells him, well, that makes sense. I kind of get it now. You know what? You should have a party, invite these people over, and tell them why you do what you do and how, why you operate the way you operate. Dude, this guy starts throwing parties and he's got people over at his house every fucking weekend because they finally understand why he does what he does. Isn't that amazing, dude? Just take a few minutes and find out why people operate the way they operate. You might understand and you might not think they're so weird after all. That's hilarious. I want a mannequin now. (laughs) (laughs) You can get the HOV lane like that. (laughs) This guy's a genius. Hey, um, small victories, bro. No, man, that, that's what I'm all about. I I have probably talked about this too much on the show, but I was I was the asshole that would immediately snap judge you because I had shit figured out, right? And I think we all were as kids, but um, the the more I start stretching my mind, <clears throat> excuse me, more I start stretching my mind and trying to figure out, you know, what really is life. That's the lesson I, it kind of always comes down to is you have to you have to recognize that there's so many fucking variations of people out there and it's like a it's a beautiful collage it's like if every personality was a color we'd have this just tapestry of what the world is on just difference and I don't know what the purpose of life is but it seems to me that humanity well not just humanity but everything this this world that we have every living thing is just striving to be better and you have variation and some succeed and some die off and with humanity we've had so many experiments with what we're doing like cigarettes is a good example we experimented with it now as a pretty much global consensus we know it's not great for you nicotine is still you know it's pretty awesome drug and you can get it through patches and vape now which is way more uh healthy on the long term for your body but you know it's also insanely addictive so you know maybe humanity will decide to keep it cheap and accessible and then what's the what's the harm in being addicted to nicotine if it's making you a better person and you can cheaply you know access it anywhere that it's going to suck when you can't find it (laughs) that's going to be miserable but um, I, I think having variation, going back to my original point, variation in humanity is so important. Having the blue-haired guy with the mannequin in his back, that's a, a social experiment 24-7, 365 every day on, hey, what's going to happen if this guy acts in this specific way? And Someone over in you know Timbuktu or wherever the hell... They're going to be living so different. We're going to see what the outcome of that life is and all the different choices we make, both individually and community wise, we're going to be able to see, all right, how does this work out? When Portugal back in 2000 or whatever it was decided to decriminalize drugs, that was a big social experiment, a whole entire country. We got to, as the world, witness what happens when that happens. Now, Oregon's doing the similar thing, decriminalized everything. Uh, Denver, they've decriminalized uh, psilocybin, which is magic mushrooms, and it's already uh, recreationally legal for marijuana, you know. So, all these different little subsections of humanity are trying these new ways of living, and we're going to be able to see over time what the actual consequence is. And hopefully, we're all open minded enough to accept the beautiful results. Yeah. And we don't have to accept them for us, 
but you better damn well accept that, that person knows themselves better than you do and those actions that they're taking is due to an infinite amount of small little micro decisions that have happened throughout their life and we got to trust them that they're doing what they need to do in that moment i think people are going to be wrong a lot probably more often than they're right but that's the beauty of this is we all get to exchange data we get to exchange experiences me and you get to talk and say hey i tried this it didn't work you probably shouldn't do it anymore and over the long run we're talking generationally over hundreds if not thousands of years the more information we share with each other as long as we're being vulnerable and honest about it we're only going to get better and better and better and better and that's the optimist in me is i don't see a way that's not going to happen and every religion kind of points to it nostradamus was talking about these ages right now about how it's going to be the end of the world and when you start realizing that all these crazy prophecies that uh, are all pointing kind of at the same place from different parts of the world mayans and hebrews they have stuff that lines up right you start to think like maybe our past humanity our past self whatever humanity was back then maybe they saw something that we've kind of kind of let go of it's the maybe the, the mystic side of things but it can't be just coincidence that everyone's pointing to these times right now and i tend to think and first off let me be very clear i have no fucking clue this is not i don't i don't think this is the truth but i, th I think it could be i i think it's a possibility that we are really living in the end times right now. It is the end of the world as we knew it. We used to murder each other in order to get our way. And although Russia is still proving that we're not fully better, the reaction of the world to what Russia is doing is exactly what I'm talking about. We all kind of looked at each other and we're like, no, fuck these guys. Why are we still going to war? Let's do this a different way. We've seen what happens when we go to war. It is not good that's changed and i really i really think with few exceptions you know obviously there's going to be tribal warfare in underdeveloped places but on a big global scale i'll be shocked if if this escalates it's it it seems to be dying down yeah. the the russians are kind of backtracking thinking holy shit what the whole entire world rejected what we're doing and now we're paying a huge financial price in my opinion, we're, we're living in the best time in the history of humanity, Tony. We're, we're getting to experience some pretty badass shit. I agree with you on that point, but just to play devil's advocate real quick, would you agree that all this power and better and life's getting good and it's just going to continue to get it better, would you agree that it, it's for the people who don't want positive change, or the people who don't want a better world to live in and they dwell on the negative, would you agree that the negative energy and the bad influences of life are also going to achieve greater influence and power i mean i think that goes back to how do you define good or bad mm. i think it's more of a push and pull that's, that's what we see right now in the american politics you have people who want to change things really fast and you have other people who want to keep it the way it is and maybe backtrack a little bit um and I think both are necessary. I think it's a balance of the two. You know, I don't think humanity can change that fast. We just don't have the capability. Um, it's a generational thing. I think younger kids these days, because they were exposed to, you know, smartphones and tablets and computers, the internet, they have the ability to change a little bit 
quicker. Mm. And that's why we're seeing a little bit more strain between the older generations and the younger, not really seeing eye to eye, but it's nothing new. We've always had that. It's just, we haven't had the change we've seen uh, recently. I mean, just in our lifetimes, what we went from, what, in the 80s, what was it, eight tracks, um, like corded phones, cell phones didn't exist, or maybe I think they were invented in like the 70s, but didn't really come to fruition until, what, like late 90s, 2000s, before everyone had them. Yeah. And so we've really seen a huge change. Um, was it Moore's Law? Uh, uh, IT guy, a uh, programmer up in Washington, was he was the first one to tell me about Moore's Law. It's that with, you know, like SD cards mm -hmm. and storage, that every, what is it, 18 months or every so often, every year, it's like doubling, which that's like an exponential growth, meaning if we continue along this path, we have no idea what's going to happen in our lifetimes. Like we're only halfway through our life and we've seen so much change. And if the change is growing exponentially, I mean, we're getting more and more change on top of that change and it's feeding on itself. Ooh, boy, we're going to see yeah. some crazy shit more than we already have. They already have sex dolls that actually look like humans. The Love Tron 9000. Love Tron 9000. <laughs> I can't wait till that comes out. Uh, Rich, my guy, has been uh, really, really working his off ass off to get that uh, dick implant going. <laughs> and I told him I would be, I would not be version 1.0. I will definitely not be a beta tester. Um, but yeah, maybe like version 10.0, I'll, I'll maybe get that Lovetron in, installed. Get you some, happy. man. Go for it, bro. <laughs> you only live once. But I just went on a rant because you know, that's what we do. Well, that's what you do for a living. I You're do. You're fucking good at it, dude. Uh, Am I? Congratulations. Dude. I, uh, this shit is awesome. I love it. I enjoy it, man. I've really enjoyed being able to just pick the brains of people. And I think my biggest critique on my the, the last 70 shows is that I haven't trusted my guests enough to, for me to ask them, like, really hard questions. Some of them are friends. Some of them are strangers. But with both, I just... I don't know. I've seen how much responsibility people have in like, I don't know, fucking up other people's lives. And mm -hmm. so I don't want to like really jab into the deep, deep, dark, vulnerable parts of people. But that's the stuff that I think really heals. That's the juice. Yeah, that's yeah, exactly. You, you said earlier, if just one person is helped by this, then we're good. And that's the stuff talking about that stuff, especially if you've reached a point in your life to where yeah you're not you're not perfect you haven't figured everything out but you have figured out that part of yourself to where you can help someone else say hey don't make this same mistake and if you can do that that's part of what i was talking about with humanity getting better each time us sharing this information with each other is really just the the root of all happiness man we we've got to share the the stupidity in our lives and be vulnerable and that sucks because especially if you're raised in a very like macho-esque upbringing it's no i'm never wrong i'm the fucking man i'm the man of this house i never make a wrong decision like i in management training they tell you you just have to make a decision you never make a wrong decision if if they say it's wrong you said nope that's the right decision doesn't matter even though you know it was a terrible decision you just have to stick to it and Although, you know, there's balance in everything. I think sharing the, the shit that we've done, the stuff that we're embarrassed about is the stuff that is going to be helping those people 
you know, whether it's younger generations or fuck, even an older guy, it, it might click off something. He's like, you know what? Maybe I should forgive myself. Maybe I'm not the only one that's done this stupid ass thing. Definitely. And that's my experience. Definitely not the only one or you're not the last one that's going to do that stupid thing. Someone yeah. else is going to come <laughs> along and make that exact same mistake. And I think you said it, man, is like what's helped me a lot. And it may have been one of the steps is to um, admitting that you're wrong. You know, like you're not going to fucking be right all the time going back to the macho shit. And I thought I was, dude. And, and, I, and then whenever I was proved wrong. I would still fucking lie through my teeth and be like, fuck you, I'm right, you're wrong, bye. But um, as I got sober and got older and I realized that there's power in, in, in accepting, not a failure, but accepting that you're not, you don't know everything and that your way is not always the right way. And if you can just like, I don't know, make amends to, if there was a person involved and you hurt their feelings or y'all got into an argument because you're stuck in your ways and you thought you were right well make them in say i'm don't even i mean whatever makes it right you know and just address the fact that you were wrong there's so much power in that bro the hard part is the is the balance between current reality and where we should be if you have foresight and you look about where humanity should go you know you, sh you should always be nice you be kind don't lie don't cheat don't steal yada 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 mm. But the reality is we, we don't live in that world yet. Yeah, we should strive for that. And I think if everyone believed that we could be there tomorrow, we would be. It's kind of as simple as that. But we're not there. People don't believe that yet. Um, so the hard part is living in the world and living in the, you know, going back to another Mormon, Mormon mantra, it's uh, man cannot be of God and I think they say mammon or something like that, which translates like worldly things. You know, you can't be of God and of the world at the same time. It's one or the other. And it's kind of the thing where like you should always focus towards God, 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 God. But you have to make a living. You know, you got to pay the bills. And so that's something that I, I've kind of struggled with a little bit on like, well, what is what is right and wrong in that scenario? And the, the right and wrong of it is you got to do what you got to do to take care of your family. We live in a reality right now, but you, if you recognize, hey, this is probably not how I should act, but I'm just going to fucking do it because I, I got to pay the bills or whatever. I I don't know if I'm that judgmental to that guy anymore. You know, it, I, I had an upbringing where I could survive and ha be happy be, without stealing. Let me put it that way. My parents had food on the table for me. Not everyone has that. Right. And so if I immediately snap judge, oh, that, that fucking asshole is just stealing right now. I don't know everything that led up to that point. And I might do the exact same thing if I were in his shoes. Uh, it, Yo Newt's the guy in uh, Romania that owns the, uh, the hemp textile place. Mm -hmm. He said it great. We we're talking about uh, gypsies, the like uh, Romani man I sound so stupid I cannot remember um he was talking about them and you know we we're talking about the stigma around them how they like they're very trans transient they move from place to place and they'll come in and steal your shit and he's like well theft is an interesting thing it's like maybe they just weren't stealing big enough things because you have a hedge fund guy that takes off the 10 billion dollars he gets a slap on the hand but this guy steals a chicken and he uh, gets shot yeah I'm like holy shit when you put it that way that's I just need to steal big things. <laughs> <laughs> go big or go That's home, baby. That's the lesson I learned from this. I, 
you know, banks aren't big enough. We got to steal money from everyone in the U.S. out of bad policy. <clears throat> Talking about reform. <laughs> Gosh. It's like people tell me stories frequently and, and I might come in with some off the wall uh, comment about not even the moral that they were the point that they were trying to get across to me oh so you don't wear uh jorts anymore <laughs> like that's what you got out of what i just told you they go on like this five minute rant <laughs> i just like to screw with people's heads sometimes because my, my head's been screwed with since day one so to wrap things up although kids are not supposed to watch this show what would you tell the younger generations on surrounding drugs and alcohol what's your advice kids drugs and alcohol that's, teenagers 20 yeah. year olds i i consider them all kids to be any, honest, anyone younger than I, me I, I would tell them to not do any of it but kids are going to do what the fuck they want to do bro like regardless of what i say but um maybe think about it you know don't just Im take don't impulse you know no don't just do it without thinking about it. Play the table all the way through, you know. Think about the consequences. Um, and drugs and alcohol destroy your life. Like, some people can take drugs and alcohol and be fine, you know, but some can't. And I've seen beautiful people turn into some not-so-beautiful people because of it. So if you think it's the right thing to do for you, um, think, think hard think twice think think 10 times you know because um i don't think there's much good that can come from it i think casey said research 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 you know to think about the consequences well some people don't understand the consequences especially if you're a teenager and your buddy's just handing you something in a by a bonfire you just take it because he you trust him yeah. and then you you're kind of down a you're down a, a path of addiction, potentially, depending on what they're handing to you. And if you do go down the path of addiction, I mean, there's always a way back, you know, because there's uh, miracles happen every day, bro. And, and if you find that you relapse and you, you're trying to get back on track, don't think about, you know, let's say you had a year or two sober before. Don't think about that time that you were sober and now you fucked it all up. Just start from day one and live one day at a time, dude. That's how I got to where I'm at in these 10 years. One fucking day at a time. I know it's corny. I know everybody says it, but it's fucking real, bro. Like, and sometimes today even I live one moment at a time or one hour at a time because days and times get tough sometimes, bro. I mean, even without drugs and alcohol. Um, life is a bitch sometimes. <laughs> it can be, bro. But there but it's also very beautiful too, man. Mm -hmm. I mean, like I take time and I'm a driver. I, I'm a CDL truck driver still. And I drive around Bandera, you know, Lotus, you know, the hill country, San Antonio up to Austin, New Braunfels. There's so much beautiful scenic views, bro. It's like, um, and I take, I take it in. Like my, my God created that, you know, there's a bigger picture. There's like, we're just minor players in this grand scheme of whatever you want to call it. But if you, if you just if you don't take time and look at these things, you know, in, in sunsets or hills or mountains, try it, you know, look, look just and get, be in that moment. Don't think about the Internet. Don't think about your phone. Bro, recently I did a year without social media. Oh, my God, it's the best year of my life. I could I can stay in my own lane. I don't have, and then when I got back on it, the same people were 
posting the same shit that they were posting. <laughs> I kid you not, dude. After a year of taking off, it's the exact same thing. I'm not even kidding, bro. But anyhow, I mean, it's it's fun to connect with that shit sometimes. You know, it's cool or whatever. But like, it puts a lot of different ideas and opinions in your head, and it shows you this picturesque type of living and keeping up with the Joneses or you know, and just fucking run your race you know stay in your own fucking lane don't try to compete or be on this person's level because you know you should be there too you should be where you're at you know until you take those steps to get to to where you need to be or you know start living a certain way your time will come if you if it's meant for you to be you know you'll you'll get there and i think everyone deserves to be happy and just make good karma you know make good decisions make good choices do right to people be kind to humans man and don't judge them because they have blue hair and a mannequin in the backseat. <laughs> Tony, you're the man. Thank you so much for coming on. I, I really am honored that you would choose to be here during your anniversary. And I I have nothing but uh, high expectations for you, man. I, uh, you are have been a role model for me as a dad and a, just a good guy. I, I appreciate everything I've learned from you, man. Thank you, brother. All right. Bye, everybody. Bye. Hey, everybody. The conversation is getting bigger and bigger, and I want to invite all of you to join in. There's a few ways to do it. You can go to IamWoodstock.com. That's I-A-M-Woodstock.com. There you'll find a contact form where you can input your email and contact me directly. You can also go to the I Am Woodstock Facebook page to leave comments and start a conversation with the entire IAW community. If you're a fan of pictures, check out the I Am Woodstock Instagram, where my wife is sharing some of the family adventures. If you're enjoying the show and want it to grow even more, go to the Good Stuff page on my website. There you'll find links to all of my sponsors, as well as a link directly to the I Am Woodstock Patreon, where you can become an official patron and allow me to be picky about the sponsors I choose. Thank you all for the support, and don't forget, this is all about starting real conversations. If you're driving in your car, call up a friend who you haven't seen in a while and discuss some of the topics you've come across on the show. Trust me, you will not regret it. See you next time. I am.